0: Not a secret, can you keep it's where this one you That Better lock it in your pocket, taking this one to the grave If I show you that I know
1: you won't tell what I said Cause two
2: can't keep a secret, if one of them is dead
4: Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to a bonus episode of What The Actual F with me, your host Harmony. Now I may be smack dab in the middle of a breakup trying to pack and get situated and move, but I also need to keep my mind distracted so I decided to sit down the other day, just take a little gander at some cases I've been interested in and I got sucked into one that I have to tell you about. I have like all sorts of weird stories saved everywhere from random books, journals to folders in my laptop to screenshots on my phone I got a lot of weird stuff so when I took a break from packing because mentally I was just like oh mm, this is a lot let me just sit down and look at something that's fucked up because that's what I do when my head is going through it I like to read really fucked up stories that are real Yeah, not just like something that somebody wrote that's spooky, I'm talking real gritty shit that happens in the world and I don't know why, that's just always been how I work. So as I'm doing that, I'm looking through the cases that I've collected to tell you guys later on down the road, and then I stumble on the case of Seth Jackson. and Instantly, I remember why I had, first, so much stuff on it, but second, why I even put it aside to tell you guys. I mean, to be honest, a lot of murder and crime and strange fucking shit all over the world happens every single day. But the case of Seth Jackson is first and foremost super twisted. Secondly, it's also in Florida, which is just where I happen to reside currently. But most of all, It centers around kids. Now, I don't mean kids like a child is abducted type stuff. No, that shit's really hard for me to share. I'm talking about the fact that these are teenagers that just get really angry and somebody ends up dead. Well, okay, there's a bit more to it. However, I think you should stick around and you should hear the story of Seth Jackson. And how in April of 2011, Seth would be lured by his ex girlfriend Amber Wright to a mobile home where a group of kids would brutally kill him. Are you guys ready? All right, boys and ghouls, let's begin.
3: Uh, Mike's at the bag picking teeth from his skull and playing with his tongue. He's all sick and everything. <laughs> <laughs> He kept on punching him and, and shooting him, and I had to grab him like this to pull him back. And I told him to stop. Are you like, mean
1: people are gonna f- hate us for
3: this?
1: F- hate my life. This is
0: our life now. Oh my God, man.
4: Seth. Tyler Jackson was a regular teenager. He was born in Bellevue, Florida on February 3rd of 1996. He grew up with his two older brothers in a nearby town called Summerfield in Marion County. This is just right near Ocala for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about. Or if that still confuses you, smack dab, Central Florida. Now, Seth would go on to attend Bellevue High School and he he wanted to grow up and become a UFC fighter. However, for this story, he is in high school and that is where his life would end. As a high school student. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Seth began dating another 15-year-old by the name of Amber Wright. Like I said, these are babies, they are practically still wearing diapers, they're 15 years old. So the two only dated for like 3 months. And this is because Seth started to think that maybe Amber was cheating on him. In fact, he really, really was pretty sure that Amber had cheated on him with an 18-year-old by the name of Michael Bargo. Don't worry, we're gonna talk about that, Mr. 18-year-old Bargo. So this all would end up leading to a really bitter breakup between Amber and Seth. And this occurred in March of 2011, now add in the fact that not only are the two 15 and pumped full of hormones they're both smoking weed they're hanging out with friends they're listening to other people and then they add in facebook everything's getting really toxic they're wanting to make the other person jealous now in true teenage fashion Seth and Amber take all of this to social media like I said and they're just like laying it out for everybody and they're attacking one another right there. This truly becomes a full-blown tit-for-tat back and forth fight. Think a really bad breakup that you've been through and then think about the fact that if you just set on Facebook and went back and forth with your ex and was like, no, you fucking did this. And then you did that. Oh, I didn't do that. You did this. No, the fuck I didn't. And then like you also throw in a few poo-poo heads and butt faces in there because that's how teenagers talk, I think. I don't know. Anyways, it's getting real bad and it's becoming really public. So Mr. 18 year old Michael, who should not have been messing around with these 15 year olds, decides to also just step in as well. And while this whole Facebook feud is going on, he starts to believe that Seth was abusive to Amber. Now, it's not like he just thought of this out of thin air. No, Amber was telling him this lie. So Amber is falsely putting Seth under the bus and then driving the bus over him as Michael watches because she's telling Michael that Seth was abusive to her. This infuriates this 18-year-old man, so much so that he goes to Seth's house. Seth's mother actually witnesses and hears Michael threaten her son, telling Seth, quote, I have a bullet with your name on it. I obviously don't know how to sound threatening, but imagine that that was. And you know what? Michael probably was a bit threatening, especially to 15-year-old kids. However, they should have been a bit more worried. Michael didn't really come off as a huge threat though. Yeah, he had a minor rap sheet, and he also thought he was a bit of a gangster carrying around a gun and just thinking he was somewhat of a badass. I mean, he wasn't a badass, and he was by no means his own form of a gangster. He was an 18-year-old with a 15-year-old girlfriend walking around with a gun that he probably had no idea how to use. And that's the bottom line of the situation, a situation that was about to turn deadly. All because a bunch of children couldn't act right.
3: Okay, so you just got in a car and you didn't ask any questions like, what do you want? Why am I here? Nothing? You didn't ask anything? Oh, come on. You're too smart for that. I'm not
2: worried about it. I didn't do nothing wrong. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I was just coming over here to see what the hell is going on. Because I, I woke Yeah, up, but, and...
3: but you even said it yourself, okay? You're nervous about places like this, okay? So there's no way you're going to sit there and tell me that you got into a police car, Okay. And ask no questions as to why you're getting into a police car
4: after being woken up, okay? Now, we're still in April. However, it's a bit earlier in the month when Michael and a friend of his by the name of Kyle Hooper, who was 16 years old, challenged Seth and his friend to a fight. What the fuck? What the fuck? This is an 18-year-old who is considered to be an adult asking a 15-year-old to fight along with his 16-year-old friend approaching another 15-year-old. Like, these are just teenagers that are over here like, hey, I'm gonna kick your ass. Let me finish this episode of Barney and I'll meet you outside and put your money where your mouth is, bitch. Kidding. So anyways, this group of teenagers decides to meet at a mutual acquaintance house by the name of Charlie Eli. As Seth and his friend are approaching this trailer, they hear a gunshot and immediately they're like, nope, fuck this, and they're out. Michael, who kept a .22 caliber Heritage revolver inside Charlie's house, had shot it at Seth and his friend in order to scare them. Now that was the end of that situation that day. But then on April 17th, Michael told Kyle that he needed to kill Seth. He ended up roping in Kyle into his plan because Kyle was actually already angry with Seth. And Kyle was angry with Seth all because allegedly Seth had threatened to burn down Kyle's house. Again, these are teenagers that are allowing everything they're doing to be fueled by pure emotion and hormones. This is when Michael begins to plot Seth's demise. And it's no longer just him and Kyle. There are four other co-conspirators that are jumping in. There's Kyle, who was 16. There's Amber, who was 15. There's Justin Soto, who was 20. And then there's Charlie Eli, who was 18. There are three adults in total in this situation, which was Michael Bargo, Justin Soto, and Charlie Eli. All of them are considered legal adults in the situation. And then there's Amber and Kyle who are still not considered adults. Why is this important? Because there are three people there that should have been like, this is inappropriate, this shouldn't be happening. But some would argue that those three people were some of the biggest instigators and antagonizers, antagonizers? Antagonizers, making the situation even more worse even far worse i what is wrong with my english today i cannot words for the life of me anyways at this point these two teenagers and then three adults are now plotting and planning and eventually going to carry through all casually the murder of 15 year old seth jackson so
3: let's 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 they said
2: an incident happened okay
4: with who
2: um, I guess, frickin' something about some kid that I don't even know who the hell he is. And yeah, you Who is it? His name's Seth or some, something like that. And supposedly, I guess, he got shot
0: mm-hmm. or
4: whatever. Okay. It's all right now. Now, here we're getting to the murder. Michael asked Amber to lure Seth over to Charlie's home that night where they would ambush him. Once they did this, Michael would shoot him. At the time that all this was going on, Charlie's house was like the temporary home for the group. Amber often stayed the night there because Charlie was a girl. So she could just be like, hey mom, I'm gonna go to Charlie's house, okay. So the group was always there. Following Michael's plan, Amber would exchange text messages with. Te- Why can't I not talk today? Text messages. Jesus, it's like I have peanut butter in my mouth. So she wrote Seth under the guise that she wanted to work things out with him. And you know what? Even after everything—her cheating on him, her lying, her then dating who she cheated on him with—Seth still wanted her. Seth was like, okay. I mean, if you wanna work it out, I totally would like to do that. So she asked him to meet her at Charlie's house. But she also said, please keep this a secret, don't tell anybody. Initially, Seth was like, this kinda feels like a trap, I don't know. And he really should have listened to that because he replied to Amber, quote, Amber, if you have me jumped, I will never give you the time of day. Amber immediately swoops in to assure him she wanted to convince him it was completely safe by saying, I could never do that to you. I just want me and you back. What, Uh dare I say this? And I'm so sorry that I am because she is nothing but a child who is 15 years old, but she knows exactly what she's doing, cunt <laughs> of a person. And for anyone out there that was first of all, just like, <gasps> she just called a child a cunt. Yes, this child lured another child to their murder and knew exactly what she was doing. And if that word offend you, I'm so sorry. I wish I had a stronger one so that I could use it to describe Amber. I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. So, Seth is under the absolute guise that this girl still wants him. And he's like, you know what? I still want you too. I'll meet you out there. What's really crazy is a female friend who was with Seth heard him say, Psh, I wouldn't even fall for that. Except he was falling for it because he was walking right toward the trap. That means that he was like on the way to the trailer, by the way, where everybody was at, getting ready to. Kill him. I don't like this room.
1: I'm about to do
0: Charlie has been obsessively checking and examining her body since entering the interview room. This may be indicative of anxiety. After nearly twenty minutes, a detective finally arrives to speak to Charlie. Hello.
1: Hello. How are you? Good. Good. Go crazy. Got to go crazy. Yeah, oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. 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 We don't need that. I'm the detective with the sheriff's office. Charlie. Charlie. What's your last name, Charlie? Ailey. Ailey. Ely. Ailey. Yeah, okay. How are you doing? <coughs> How old are you? Eighteen. Eighteen years old. Okay. Do you do you know why you're here? Why are you here? Because um, something happened with Seth. Something happened with Seth? Yeah. Okay.
4: As the three kids entered into Charlie's trailer, Seth's whole fear of danger was basically at this point all gone. Amber had tragically disarmed him completely, having him feel at ease and really genuinely believing that things with Amber were gonna go fine. They were gonna get back together and he was walking in there with his soon-to-be girlfriend again. However, the moment he walked in, Kyle Hooper lunged at Seth. He hit him on the head with a wooden object as the girls scuttled off into a bedroom and hid, all while Michael was shooting his 22 caliber gun and ended up wounding Seth. Although he was hurt, Seth did manage to stumble outside of the trailer, but Justin Soto would tackle him right there in the front yard. Justin began to beat Seth down to the ground as Michael shot him again. Justin and Kyle then carried Seth back into the house and put him in the bathtub. At this point, he is no threat. Seth can't fight for himself. He is shot twice. He's been badly fucking injured. He is beaten. He's laying in this bathtub. And then Michael comes in and continues to beat the shit out of him while he's cussing at him. He's also firing more bullets into his body. While finally, He ends his life by shooting Seth in the face. Michael then, still so enraged, him and Justin pick up Seth's lifeless body and throw him. They then pick him up again and wrap him in a sleeping bag. They toss him into a burning fire pit and then later just head off to bed. But Kyle did stay up and oversee that all of this burning would end up not being too much noticeable for anyone around until the early hours of the morning. Sadly, even though there were several adults in this situation, none of them intervened. Shockingly, a man by the name of James Havens, a 37-year-old ex-boyfriend of Amber Wright's mother. Yeah, he knew this whole twisted plot before it even happened. On the morning of April 18th, James turned up with cinder blocks and cables in the back of his truck. He also had bleach, which was used to remove evidence, and remains that were in the fire pit of Seth, were then shoveled into paint buckets, and they were put in the back of James' truck. Michael also asked James to drive him and Justin to a remote water-filled rock quarry in Ocala. This is where they bucketed those remains of Sess and sunk them into the depths of that quarry. Seems like they were gonna get away with it right? Everybody did everything that they had planned out. They were off to get rid of the body. Everything was going to plan until it wasn't, which is how these things go. To plan and then boom oh my god (laughs) not so much anymore.
2: Okay, I just need you to tell me the story, and let's start with, the other night, I understand that you and Charlie went to another neighborhood or went down the street. Tell me how this all comes about.
0: Unlike the other detectives, Detective Stroop goes straight into the story, beginning with Amber's role in the events.
2: Well, me and him were already talking on the phone. Me and him. Seth. Okay, you and Seth. Did Seth call you, or did you call Seth?
1: Well, he had called me a couple days before that, and I didn't answer. Okay. So I called him that night.
2: And you and Seth, correct me if I'm wrong, okay, you two had had a relationship. Was he, uh, how was your relationship with him?
1: Not the best.
2: Tell me why you say not the best.
1: We'd always fight. He'd always hit
2: me and cheat on me and all that. So he was physically abusive to you? Yes, okay.
0: When Amber describes her relationship with Seth, she touches her hair. Another adapter behavior. She may be feeling uncomfortable as she talks about this sensitive subject.
2: Who all knew that? Me, Charlie, my brother. Okay, so Kyle knew about it. Was it? Were there a lot of people in the neighborhood just that ran around with you guys that knew this? Yeah. Because your mom, I understand, knew it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Seth had called you a few days before.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You called him back, and what day was that?
1: Um, I think it was Sunday night. Sunday night? It was the night that this all happened. Okay,
2: so you called Seth, and what did Seth say?
1: Well, it started off, I was like, hey, I know you called me the other day and I didn't answer, but you wanted to make up. So, do you want to make up or like try and be a friend or something? Because I'm sorry for everything. And he was like, yeah, I think that'd be a good idea for the both of us because we're both tired of fighting with each other, but we just wanted to stop the drama.
2: Okay. So, were you guys going to get back together as a couple?
1: No, we were just going to try and be friends. Okay. Because we were friends before we were dated. Okay. We were really close. Okay. And he was like, well, you should walk down here. And I was like, well, if I walk down there, I'm not walking alone because it's too dark, so can my friend Charlie come?
2: Uh-huh.
1: And he was like, sure, I guess. Where was Seth at
2: when he said walk down here?
1: Um, the neighborhood at the end of my road, the Bellevue Ridge Estates.
2: Okay, so Seth was at Bellevue Ridge. Whose house was he at down there? He said something about Brittany.
0: It seems likely Brittany was the friend that Seth and Will were visiting the night of his disappearance. Will mentioned that Seth had been distracted, texting on his phone once they left. Police later recovered these messages. They read, Hey, can you talk? You said you needed to talk. Well, I kinda need to talk to you about us working things out. What do you mean? Can you please call me, like now? Yeah, sure. Hey, my friend Charlie is coming with. I've been telling her everything between me and you, and she's coming because I need her to help through this. Is that okay? But don't tell anyone what's going on because I want to make sure we can work things out before anyone knows. Amber, if you have me jumped, I will never give you the time of day. So if I get jumped, say goodbye, all right? I swear you're not, Seth. I could never do that to you. I just want me and you back. Okay.
4: Kyle was the first one to cave the day that the news broke. He shared everything to his mother as he watched the news report of Seth's disappearance on TV. Soon, the rest of the group rounded up and charged. Amber, Kyle and Charlie all claimed that they were somewhat surprised that Michael wanted Seth dead. Shortly there later though, homicide detectives gathered enough information and evidence to find the real story. Sitting in a holding cell together, the three spoke of the murder with even Kyle sitting in the jail saying that Seth deserved to die. Michael escaped town, asking James Havens to drive him to Stark, Florida. Also, he could stay at an out-of-town girlfriend's family's house. Yeah, so not only was he also dating Amber and did all this horrible stuff, he was also cheating on Amber with somebody else. <laughs> what the fuck? So once there, Michael proudly began announcing that he had just committed murder in graphic full detail, cause nothing says, "I'm a badass and bragging about the murder you committed cause you're also stupid as shit. So he didn't tell just one person. In fact, he told four separate family members and a neighbor about all that he had done in full graphic gory detail. Like how he had broke Seth's knees so that his body would fit perfectly in the sleeping bag. Yeah, he literally gave them very grim details. Michael was arrested at that location the very next day. Once he was in jail, he told a further two witnesses about what he had done. Search warrants in hand, investigators soon would find the murder weapon and ammunition that was concealed at Charlie's house. As well as finding burnt human remains in that fire pit. You know, the one that they burned Seth's body in? Yeah. And of course, finally, in the Ocala quarry, a five-gallon bucket with a plastic bag was found floating in the water. A diving team then went in and found two more buckets weighted down with ding-ding-ding cinder blocks. You know, a lot like the ones that James Haven brought over to help them do just that with? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah.
2: Went down there and talked?
1: We were talking for maybe, like, not even 30 minutes. Okay. And his mom, I guess, texted him. And I was like, who are you texting? I thought we were talking. And he was like, my mom told me either right now or never. And I was like, oh, okay. But I guess they started arguing whatever. And then he looked at me. He's like...
2: Are arguing with his mom through yes. text?
1: Okay. And I guess he called her a bitch or whatever. I didn't want to get in it. And then he was like, look, I'm not in the mood to talk right now. I'm getting out of here for now. I'll see you around. And he... He just stormed off, so when he stormed off, we went back to my house, and about an hour later, he came to my house. Mike was off in his room like he always is. Okay. He never comes out.
2: So he had no idea you went to see Seth or that you came back from seeing Seth, that you're aware of?
1: I didn't tell him.
2: Okay. And Kyle's in the living room. What's Kyle doing?
1: Kyle just sits there and watches TV like he always is. Okay, lives. so he's
2: just watching TV in the living room, Mike's in the bedroom. Okay, and then what happens? Seth comes. Seth, Seth
1: knocked on the door and Charlie answered it, and she was like, "Well, what do you want?" And he
3: was like, "I just need to talk to Amber. Can I come in?" I I don't know what it is you're being careful about, okay? And I it's okay to be careful, okay? But the truth is what it is, okay? And that's what I need from you.
1: That's pretty much what it is. I don't I don't know the kid. Okay. I know he's a little white boy and.
0: Using the phrase "pretty much" is what is known as an exclusion qualifier. Other examples of exclusion qualifiers could be saying something like, not really, or for the most part. It allows the person to tell some of the truth while hiding the rest. It's important to note that just because you hear someone use one of these statements, it's not proof that they are lying, but an indication that they may be.
3: Him and one of the girls
2: used to date or whatever. Which
3: girl? The Amber girl. Well, you just told me more than you told me a few minutes ago. How do you know Amber? Amber? As a friend. How did you meet her?
2: Through her brother, Kyle, the other dude that's okay. here?
3: Okay. All right. So is Kyle the other one that lives with you?
2: Yeah. Okay.
3: Well, then now I know you know more than you're saying because, you know.
2: He just moved in, too.
3: I know. But Kyle likes to talk. Doesn't.
4: Although many of those involved with Cess murder were juveniles at the time, prosecutors decided to try each of the participants in Cess murder separately and as adults. Forensics would later reveal DNA from Cess blood that was mixed with several different defendants. His blood had been splattered throughout the house along with others that he had been fighting with, you know, trying to fight for his life. Forensic anthropologist and expert DNA analyst, meanwhile, confirmed that burned tissue and bone remains from the fire pit and the quarry came from the exact same person. The remains were consistent with biological and teenage male child matter of the Jacksons, meaning it had to be one of their offspring and only one of them wasn't accounted for and that would be Seth in june of 2012 all of the defendants were sentenced to life in prison for his murder except for mr james havens he actually pled guilty to accessory after the fact in 2018. after nine years in prison charlie was released in 2020. now michael Bargo was sentenced to death as he was considered the instigator of seth's murder he became the youngest inmate on death row in florida And in 2021, the Supreme Court decided to uphold his sentence, meaning he is still sitting on death row, waiting for his execution. And if you're wondering, everybody else, as I stated, got life in prison without the possibility of parole. This, at the time, was the mandatory minimum sentence for first-degree murder. Murder. Not Mordor. This is not a town with the Lord of the Rings. Wait, that's Mordor. I'm sorry guys. My brain is like half asleep today. Not quite working. So sorry. Nonetheless, regardless of the age, the minimum mandatory sentence for first degree murder when they were given their sentence was exactly what they got. And that was the story of Seth Jackson and his brutal murder at the hands of children. Yeah, okay, teenagers, but again, teenagers. Yes, Michael was 18, still a teenager. And yeah, okay, there was also 18-year-old Charlie, but she didn't act at all like an adult. In fact, she was over here just ramped and ready for the murder. And then, of course, Justin Soto, who was 20, but wasn't a whole lot of help as an adult, either these were children who killed a child. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed that story. As dark and grim as it is, it helped me get away for a moment of the things that are going on in my life so that I could share with you some really fucked up shit that happens around the world. Because I will remind you weekly that you can bet your sweet ass we are fucking monsters and we do pretty monstrous shit on the daily stuff that when i read it i am left wondering what the actual fuck is wrong with us because seriously what the fuck is wrong with us as humans i mean just take a look at the story i told you and tell me that we're all right
1: i got a hold that hand and as you can tell I'm Detective Brewer from American Insurance Office. Okay. I think you know why I'm here to talk to you. Okay, before we talk or anything, I have to advise you of your rights. you understand that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do <coughs> you understand each of these rights I have explained to you? Yes, sir. I have these rights in mind. Do you wish to talk to, it says us here, but I'm saying me. Do you wish to talk to me now? Um, I like being on one phone call because I, I'm, you know, somebody
0: I need to call my lawyer. You want to talk to a lawyer? Is that what you're telling I mean, me? I mean, I'll talk to you, but oh, I, I, I don't want that. I don't want that. Hold on, that. Hold, on no. hold on a second. You said
1: you want to talk to a lawyer. Did you want I talk to a lawyer, or do you want to talk to me? I want to clarify that first. I'll talk to a lawyer. Okay. Stand up.
0: The detective cuffs him again and leads him away before questioning has even begun. It is over.
4: Before I say goodbye to you guys, I want to talk a little bit more about this new podcast I have coming. My friend Brie and I are putting together brainstorming and creating this whole new content for you. I'm super excited about it because we're going to talk about so many things, but we're also incorporating something that a lot of people enjoy, be it medicinally or recreationally. Yes, I am talking about the green stuff. We will be discussing many different topics, every single day activities, news, we're going to have different segments, more than one type of episode. There is so much that we are going to have. I look forward to telling you guys more and when you can expect the first episode. I know we are also planning on having video as well so look forward to that. Anyways, I'll tell you guys more, as I said, as the details get more fine-tuned out between her and I. However, until the next episode of What the Actual Left, which I'll be honest, I don't know when that's going to be, I could decide in a few days that I just want to make another episode in the middle of packing, because that's what I did today. Sometimes you just gotta pause from real life and take a break. Or to be honest with you, maybe I'll be too depressed and hyper-focused on what I'm doing and won't release one until the following week. Honestly, everything's kind of crazy right now and uh, we'll just have to play it by ear. Maybe you'll get sick of me cause I'll make 15 episodes because I can't do anything but focus on other things in life except for the tragedy that I'm experiencing of my life. Okay, that was a little bit dramatic. I'm just hurting, okay? I'm a little bit depressed, but that's okay because I have my coffee (laughs) and so my depressed is now full of espresso. Ooh, depresso espresso. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and end this episode now before I lose any of my listeners for good. I love you guys so very much and I hope you enjoyed this episode of What the Actual F, as off the wall as it is currently. I know I'm a little wonky lately and I'm sorry, my head's a little dark and twisted and I'm a little bit messed up over all of this, but in due time I will be, I don't want to say back to who I was, but I'll be healed and hopefully better. Until then, I'll still be around and I'll still be telling you really fucked up shit, reminding you that monsters exist because they're human. And most of the time, they're right next to you. So with that, Please stay safe guys, and remember, I love you. And please, 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 PLEASE. If an ex texts you after blasting you on Facebook and you guys have a public fight after they cheated on you and say, Hey, I want to get back with you, how about you meet me, and it's really late at night, don't do it. Because in all truth, I just don't want to end up telling a story about you. Alright, exes are exes for a reason. Let's remember that, shall we? Maybe that was more for me than you. Anyways, have a wonderful day. Love you. Later. Bye.